Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Yarn Movie Morning, and today I'm going to be discussing episode 3 of Marvel Studios' What If Season 1. Full spoiler warning if you haven't seen the episode, this is a spoiler review and breakdown, so if you haven't seen it, obviously don't watch this, and come back once you have seen it. And listen to what I break down, how I break down the episode, and my thoughts on it. Again, full spoiler warning, click off right now if you haven't seen it. So, this episode... It takes, you know, takes, takes, you know, the story of what if and pretty much tells, or I guess takes the concept of what if and tells the story. I guess the episode is titled, What If the World Lost Its Mightiest Heroes? Now, this episode was obviously seen by critics and people like that a couple weeks ago. So we kind of knew there was going to be an episode similar to this. And I was so excited to see this episode. And I'm happy to say, as you know, my initial thoughts, I was not let down at all. I absolutely loved this episode. Like, I really liked last week's episode. I wasn't the biggest fan of the first episode. I thought it was fine. I kind of just forgot. It just didn't stick with me at all. I really loved this episode. And there's a lot in here which was just so creative and just went for it. And it's exactly what I was hoping the show would be. And it seems like from this point on, they should be delivering on that promise. With that said, let's get into the full spoiler breakdown. So getting it now to the full spoiler breakdown, starting right off again, like I said, General Dots, this is my favorite episode of the bunch we've had so far, the three we've had. I can't wait for next week's episode when no one has seen the episode, so I feel like hopefully more people will be talking on, more people will be speculating. There's a lot in this episode and a lot going on concurrently, so it's actually kind of hard to wrap my thoughts in the episode, kind of like the first episode where it was moving so fast and montaging through so much. And if you listen to my review for that one, you are going to be confused while you're listening to it because... I was finding it hard to keep track of everything, even though I had written down notes. This episode, however, was really great. It was really greatly told, and it kind of used a lot of the intro cutting, which I, I always like when they use, especially when, they, when it kind of ups the energy and intensity of the scene, and I think it worked with this show. So getting into it, this episode does take place in Fury's Big Week, which is kind of what it's described when Iron Man 2, The Incredible Hulk, and the first Thor movie all take place in the same week. So it starts off with a scene. Obviously, the Watcher introduces us again, but we kind of don't really know what's going on yet. Unlike the last times where the Watcher points out, you know, that's where everything changed. We don't get that here until much later in the episode, but the Watcher weirdly never actually comes back in to the episode to end us off. But I think it fit for like, the more uplifting ending that we're going for, which I'll get into. But first off, we start off, you know, Tony Stark when he's sitting inside the donut from Iron Man 2. Then the restaurant with Nick Fury. Nick Fury's trying to root, recruit him to become an Avenger. Obviously, Tony's not that kind of person. But Tony, you know, and Natasha is supposed to inject him with the antidote, actually gets killed. And everyone thinks, obviously, it's Natasha's fault because she's the one who injected the antidote. And she, pretty much, she, she gets captured, gets put in this, uh, in this truck of sorts. She gets out, and pretty much the episode is her on the run. And her side of the story is her trying to figure out who the killer is. But also going to find other members of the Avenger initiative because Tony Stark was, and it looks like that's what they're going after. By the way, I just love they got Samuel L. Jackson back to voice Nick Fury. He's one of my favorite actors, and I just love just hearing him anywhere because he's so great. And there's a lot of really funny gags with him, in particular with, like, the there was an idea speech, which I've always loved, but also because of how it's, it was in the first Avengers movie and how many times these guys have probably heard it working with him. So I really appreciate them bringing it back up, and especially with Natasha. But actually, what's weird is Natasha doesn't actually know she's on the list for the Avengers initiative until later. So I thought that was a nice touch. So Natasha goes on the run. So we're gonna cut. We're gonna talk about her in a bit. But first, 
we cut to the sequence in New Mexico where, you know, the Mjolnir's landed, S.H.I.E.L.D. sets up, you know, a camp of sorts around it, and Thor shows up, and he's beating his way through the prison, through, through the guards, and he's about to pick it up, but this time Clint Barton, or Hawkeye, shoots the arrow before um, Thor can even try to lift it up, and basically kills him. Now, there's some people wondering, you know, why did he, why did he die? He's supposed to be like an almighty god. And the reason is because, if you don't remember, during the sequence, Odin did take away the power of Thor, so he didn't have any abilities that weren't human, so getting killed does actually make sense, I think, but I could be wrong about that. So pretty much Thor is now a spell, which means two of the Avengers initiative are down, and everyone thinks it's Barton, even though Fury ordered him not to fire the arrow. So obviously now... Two of the Avengers members have been killed, and two, the other two are kind of being framed for it, or maybe they are responsible. Actually, I actually was thinking at this point of the episode, since Natasha and Clint Barton are really good friends, that they were actually the two people responsible for another reason, one reason or another. I wasn't sure where that was fully going, but you know, I just thought that might have been a possibility. But while Clint Barton is in his prison, which they're keep in a cage that they're keeping him in, somehow somebody gets through and just kills him. And he dies. At first, they think, you know, it was suicide, but he's got a family, which they reference, which is cool. So that doesn't make any sense. And which means that he was murdered, as were the other two members of the Avengers prepped up for the team. So at this point, this kind of turns like a murder mystery episode, which I love, while also being a big, epic, have that big epic MCU feeling with like a great score in this episode. This episode brought back so many tunes and, you know, pieces of music from the MCU. Like the Avengers theme, the Captain Marvel theme was in here. And I really liked the way all of it was incorporated. And I noticed it a lot more in this episode than the first couple of episodes. I just love how much they can experiment, even with as little, thing, little things as the score playing in the background that I get a lot of people probably won't even notice. But cutting back to Natasha, she goes on the run and finds a doctor in this, a bit of a, in this, you know, lab of sorts. And I actually didn't think about this, but the Incredible Hulk Obviously, he's in the MCU, but I completely forgot that it was actually part of Fury's big week, which means this is going to happen, but it's technically a universal movie, so I wasn't sure how far they were going to actually go with this. And Natasha's walking and comes across Betty Ross, who, if you don't know who she is and you've never seen The Incredible Hulk, because you don't think it's part of the MCU, I'd just like to say it is. It's a pretty forgettable movie, but it is part of the MCU. It is in continuity, even though Edward Norton plays the Hulk and not Mark Ruffalo. And Liv Tyler, who plays Betty Ross, didn't come back to voice her in this episode. I can't say I'm too surprised because it's been like 13 years since the movie. And there's been absolutely no reference to her other than bringing, you know, general uh, Thunderbolt Ross back. So I completely get her not being back and how they didn't manage to get her back. I don't know if it was a personal thing. I don't know if Marvel didn't even go for her because Marvel wasn't even under Disney. And this is technically a universal movie. But she, she takes Natasha into her lab and they're trying to, you know, she's trying to, she brings with the antidote, wants to, you know, find out how, you know, it managed to kill Stark. And Betty Ross pretty much says that your antidote never even was injected. Something else went through and killed them or something else was put in there by someone. So at this point, I was pretty much sure it wasn't Natasha who was a killer because I actually kind of thought that. I actually had another person in mind, which I'll get into in a bit, but... So Natasha's trying to find Bruce Banner to protect him because he's part of the Avengers initiative. And at first, Betty's like, I don't know where he is. But then obviously he's in a cupboard and in, out comes Bruce Banner. And, and Which is what is so great is Mark Ruffalo actually came back 
to voice Bruce Banner. I don't know when the next time he's going to be showing up in live action. I'm guessing it's probably going to be the She-Hulk TV show. But I'm so glad they got him back. And he comes out and he's, you know, get a bit of rapport with Natasha. And then Natasha, obviously being an agent, knows something's coming. They go out, out onto that, like, bridge of sorts, <clears throat> which is in the first Incredible Hulk movie, which is, like, that iconic scene when Hulk jumps out in, like, broad daylight to about to start shooting people. But instead of doing that this time, <clears throat> Natasha actually holds, you know, tells everyone that she's a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent. She has Mr. Dr. Banner in custody. But then Bruce Banner just gets shot. And obviously he's not going to get killed like that. But he turns into the Hulk and we have a bit of a Hulk out moment, which I love seeing. I love whenever the Hulk just goes crazy. And I like that they put it in the show because we haven't seen a scene like this in the MCU since at least Avengers Age of Ultron. So it was really fun seeing this, seeing like this for one last time. And then out of nowhere, the Hulk, I realize there's something else going on in this scene, but I'll get, I'll get to that in just a bit. But... Then out of nowhere, the Hulk blows up. And at this point, I was pretty much clueless as to who the killer of all these Avengers were because all my theories just wouldn't make any sense. And I didn't even think about the person who actually ended up being the killer. Now, we cut back to Nick Fury. I guess we're intercutting during the sequence, but <clears throat> it's a bit easier to just explain it you know, on their own. So going back to Nick Fury, Loki shows up wanting revenge on the person who ever killed his brother, Although I think everyone watching probably knew he had something up his sleeve, you know, wanting to take over Earth and all that. And they pretty much agree that, you know, before the sun rises again, Fury has to bring Loki the killer. Although I was kind of wondering if Loki's an all-powerful god, why doesn't he just find the killer? But um, he's giving him until before the sun rises to bring the killer or else he's going to take over all of Earth and destroy it with ashes and ice or whatever he said. So Fury tries to find the killer while Natasha, now obviously with Bruce Banner being dead, wants to go into the Avengers Initiative, and she actually uses Phil Coulson's password, which was really nice, had showing his obsession with Steve Rogers. You know, the password, it was like Steve, 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 I heart or something, and it was just great. I love that they, entered it. Love that they included that. Again, all these little things in here to show you that the people who are making these shows know what they're doing are actually people who, have, who know the movies just off by heart. Just everything included in this episode. If, I had, if someone told me to break down every small Easter egg, I wouldn't be able to do it because there's just so much in here. That's obviously calling back to the first Avengers movie, you know, with the trading cards and how, how much, you know, Steve Rogers, Captain America, inspired him, which I'll get into talking about Steve Rogers in a little bit. He doesn't show up, but there's something I want to discuss with him. So Natasha herself also gets killed while she's, you know, trying to find someone, anyone who's logged into the database. And one of them was pretty much, she said, it was a woman who died, accessed it two days ago. Which I think two days ago, at, the, at, this, at this point in the, in the episode, was, was the day that Tony Stark was killed, Monday. So obviously, we knew, and then pretty much, pretty much, oh, I don't want to say it yet, but she gets dragged out into the dark, obviously implying she's been killed. And as she's going away, she puts Nick Fury on the phone and pretty much says, hope, it's all about hope. And instantly when said hope, I think the show was trying to, you know, like, weave it around to make you think of the word hope and actually what it meant. But as soon as she, had, she said hope, I instantly thought of Hope Van Dyne, who's the wasp in this universe. So I was like, oh, are they going to tie this in with Scott Lang? Is he going to be involved? Is he going to become Ant-Man early and he has something against, you know, hope or maybe even Hank Pym? Now, I didn't really go believe in this yet because I was like, what? This doesn't have anything to do with hope. I doubt they're going to go 
you know, into the wasp and all that. So even though I thought of that, I just didn't really believe they were going there. So I kind of just, I kind of just didn't fully, you know, think about it. And then the Fury pretty much tells Loki to kind of go to Loki and they make a bit of a deal, which they don't show on screen. And then we see him visiting a graveyard. And we see a grave of Hope Van Dyne, who we learn was actually a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent and died while being on a mission, I'm guessing. Kind of similar to how Janet died while being on a mission. And then, and then pretty much out of nowhere, Hank Pym emerges. I think voiced by Michael Douglas, but if it wasn't, he was doing a damn good job. Come, in comes out Hank Pym as the Yellow Jacket, who's the villain in the first Ant-Man. But I guess in this episode, they're making him the Yellow Jacket. Maybe because this is kind of show if Hank Pym went down a dark side, went down his dark side, this is what would have come of it, and he would have become the Yellow Jacket, and then you know it would have taken over you know his mind and all that. And after Hope died being on a shield mission and how Fury just didn't care about her. He wants revenge. And he's been killing everyone on the Avengers initiative trying to get revenge. And we actually have a really... And this... I really love this reveal because I didn't see it coming. And also, it led to such a fun action scene with Nick Fury and Hank Pym when, obviously, when it started, we knew that wasn't Nick Fury because, you know, he's not a field agent. And then once he started disappearing, I'm like, oh, okay, yes, it's Loki. So we're pretty much... We have a Loki versus Hank Pym fight, but it's Hank Pym, it's the Yellow Jacket. It's such a great surprise, such a great way to close out, you know, this mystery. And I was actually worried at first they weren't going to solve the mystery in this episode, but luckily they did. And it, it was even a satisfying one, which I think will lead to a lot of things, which once it's done, obviously, that's the killer. But Loki pretty much says, you know, like, he, he basically lied and that, you know, he's decided to stay on Midgard or Earth for a few more days. And then we go to the United Nations and we get Loki announcing he's the ruler of the world and all the countries of Earth are going to come together under his regime. And that was a really fun ending to leave on in that story. And I'm sure we'll come back to this probably in a season two, which we know they're making a season two. I'm guessing it'll probably come out the year after the next. I don't see Marvel releasing two seasons of a show back to back, especially since there's been reports that Loki season two might not like pretty much be filmed for like another year or so. So I don't see Marvel. I see Marvel being one of those companies that really take time to build the seasons, which I'm fine with since they have so much stuff coming out. So I'm sure we'll get more of the storyline. But then we go back to Nick Fury and end this episode on a really optimistic note. When he goes to see Steve Rogers, the shield is covered in ice. So I don't know if that's hinting at Steve Rogers potentially appearing in a season two. And maybe... Just maybe, maybe Chris Evans, obviously we know he's coming back as Captain America. I'm wondering and also kind of hoping that it is for what if, because what, I'm still not sure what else it could be other than coming back as old Steve, but I don't think that's really necessary. So I feel like the best way to u- keep utilizing him, if you still want him in the MCU, is to use him in this show. And maybe in a season two, Chris Evans will actually be voicing Captain America and he'll actually be part of that, you know, Avengers lineup, which we get teased in the trailer, but he might come, maybe he's going to wake up in the show a lot later, because obviously this doesn't take place the same universe as the Captain Carter universe, because in that universe, Clint Barton was alive when she came through, while in this universe, it just, it's a totally different thing, Clint Barton gets killed, but at the end, we do see Captain Marvel, first she said, First he said Captain, and I thought Captain America was going to show up, and I was hoping Chris Evans would be there, but actually it's Captain Marvel shows up, and the Captain Marvel theme plays, and it's just a nice hopeful note to the end of the episode on. And just in general, before we close out here, this was definitely 
more the type of episode I wanted. Again, I really liked the last episode. And I still, even looking back, really like it. But I loved this episode. And even looking back to the first episode, the more it kind of just falls apart. Because I've had this, this the last two episodes really showed me the potential of this show. I love this episode. And I really hope the next couple of episodes also have that same, you know, like, you know, that same grind to try and get to, try and go, like, into the most furthest weird directions they can. Because this episode took some really weird turns. And I hope they don't have to feel confined by trying to make it all fit into, a, into the same universe, despite taking a universe very far away from the Marvel Cinematic Universe, you know, like the mainline universe we've had. And I'm glad that they're not holding themselves back by doing that. So that's pretty much my general thoughts on the episode. That's my full breakdown of the episode. If you did enjoy, make sure to come back next week. And after you've seen the episode, episode four, come back an hour and a half, maybe two hours later for my breakdown to release. With that said, thank you guys so much for listening. As always, share this with your friends if you enjoy it. I'll catch you all next time. Bye-bye.